I'm excited because I, when you've been at a church 22 years, you get to watch generations come and go. And that's just real exciting to me to see uh, uh, some of these who are now uh, parents used to be kids running around this place and uh, having a ball and singing in children's choir and youth choir and going on youth trips and to see them now being men and women of God is an awesome, awesome thing. What we owe the next generation, the reason I didn't talk to them is because I'm going to talk to them now along with the church because the message I want to share with you is for both family and the family of faith we call church. There's a word for all of us here today, or whether you had children here tonight or not, or, 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 you know, there's something for all of us to take and glean from this, what we owe the next generation. And simply put, we need to give them roots and wings. That's what we give them, roots and wings. That's what we owe them. What does that look like? How do we know when we've done that? Psalm 127, verses 3 through 4 say this in the New Living Translation. Children are a gift from the Lord. Pretty awesome statement, isn't it? That child you hold by the hand or you hold in your arms is a gift from the Lord. A precious gift. They are a reward from Him. And uh, children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. They become productive and protective as a part of the family. They're a blessing to have. Do you know something... uh, about the arrow, the arrow can go where the archer can't. When that archer releases the arrow, it goes where he can't go right then. It goes perhaps where he'll never go. It's an amazing thing to watch. I love to watch people shoot arrows. And uh, archery tournaments and things like that, it's just fun, you know, watching. I used to uh, practice a lot getting ready for deer season. I'd, you know, practice in the the backyard and, and, and let that arrow go. What I want you to understand, when I say an arrow can go where the archer can't, the next generation will impact and influence the future generations we can't. Now, we got to come to grips with that because there's going to come a time we're going to move off the scene and that next generation is going to be the army of God moving forward. And they're going to go in generations forward and they're going to touch lives we could never touch. That is why it is so important we give them roots and wings today because they're going to get a chance to use those wings later and do things we never imagined. Uh, when I was a young, young guy, when I was a child, my, my parents got me a, a toy bow and arrow. By that, they got me a little bow and the little arrows that had rubber tips on like suction cups and they stuck to stuff. So I don't think those are real arrows. Real arrows have a metal tip to them, and they stick through stuff. I'm going, that's an arrow. And I remember when I got one of those for the first time. I got a bow and an arrow, and it had a metal tip on it called a field tip, and it would stick in, in, in targets. And I remember, you know, it was shooting with a couple of people and, and, you know, shooting at the target and having fun. And, you know, and then I got curious. I said, what would happen if I shot this thing straight up in the air? Obviously wasn't wise or mature when I was younger. Uh, so I said, I'm going to find out. When nobody was looking, they were all looking at me. I said, Pew! And I got to tell you, it was fun. I'm watching that arrow go up and up and up and out of sight. 
And then my fun turned to fear because I didn't know where it was going to come down. <laughs> going, man, where's that going to come down the neighbor's backyard? What's going to happen? <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, oh. And, it, of course, I watched it. Then it came back in sight. And it came back down. And I did it again because <laughs> it's so much fun. Something about an arrow. Just shoot that thing. Watch it fly. Guys, we, as a family in a church, get to shoot the arrows of the future to places we can't go. Sometimes it's fun, and sometimes it's fearful. A little of both. But it's the opportunity we have. So let me tell you, what does it look like we give them roots and wings? Well, here we go. Uh, Let's give them, first of all, um, a life rooted in faith. That's the first thing you got to give them, a life rooted in faith. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, the last part of that verse says this. Rather bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So when we're, when we're teaching our children, when we're molding our children, when we're preparing the next generation, we must give them discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Because that's how God protects and promotes their generation and their life and their purpose. Children are a precious heritage, a treasure from God because they impact the world for his kingdom. He gives us children to make a difference. And we understand we must root them in the things of God. Now, we do a lot to root them in life. They need to be rooted in how to, how to do life and how to fix things and how to build things. And, yeah, they need to know how to play ball and they know how to you know, do great, incredible things like that. That's all good. But we need to, above all, teach them how to be rooted in faith. Because faith is going to carry them where sometimes their talent, their abilities, and their knowledge can't carry them. We've all been there. We know what that's like when faith has to take over and we're too weak, when we can't make it happen. Our children need to have that same root of faith in their life. So we do that. Now, how do, what does that look like when we give them root, a, a rooted faith? First of all, it, we give them our unconditional love that provides security and intimacy. Unconditional love. Now, where does unconditional love come from? It comes from God. So as we have our relationship with God and he loves us unconditionally, we just let that flow through to our children because that's where our security and intimacy comes from. Do you realize if you look in how God displayed his unconditional love throughout the Bible, we ought to be just absolutely secure in who we are as believers because throughout the Old Testament, God has loved Israel when they were unfaithful, when they were rebellious, when they were hard-hearted, he still never forsook Israel. Now, he'd get their attention. But you see, cycles of commitment and faithfulness and then unfaithfulness and lack of commitment and complacency and rebellion. And you see it again and again and again, and God would never leave them. He said, I'm never going to leave you because I'm God. I, I love you unconditionally. Now, I'm going to get your attention. I'm going to bring correction, but I'm not going to forsake you. You see, as we communicate to our children that we're going to love you unconditionally, you're secure because I'm never going to stop loving you. 
and I want to have a relationship with you while you're in my house, but also when you go away to college or when you go to develop your own life and have your own family, I want to be a part of your life. I want us to be able to share together, talk together, pray for one another. That's what rooted faith means. We build our life around the principles of God is real. He loves us unconditionally. Therefore, I will love you unconditionally. I will love you when you do everything you're supposed to do. And I love you when you don't. Because you know something? We aren't perfect. And our children will not be perfect. That may be a shock to some of y'all. But they're not going to be perfect. How do you know, Pastor? Got four of them. Sometimes they're great and act like me, and sometimes they act like their mom. No. No. They're great when they act like their mom, believe me. They're not perfect. They're going to make some, they just make some foolish decisions, and they do some crazy stuff. You go, what were you thinking? I wasn't thinking. Oh, yeah, I know. We've been there, done that. And so we look at that and we realize that. Uh, the second thing is, 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 as you look at that unconditional love, the home should have verbal and physical expressions of love and say, I love you. And it's hard for some of you to say that. You say, I, I need to say, I love you. You say, oh, I don't do that well. Then text. They'll get it. <laughs> but you understand, they need to hear, I love you. I love you, man, I love you. I, I, there needs to be affection in the family. There needs to be hugs and kisses and pats on the back. Because touch has emotional healing to it. I didn't realize that early on. I, I, I've come to understand that. That just sometimes a hug. You know on Sunday morning when people show up here, sometimes when you shake their hand and pat them on the shoulder or maybe give them a hug, you have no idea what that may do for them because they may have had one horrible week. And you have just brought warmth to their life. And maybe healing. That's why we do that. Because we need to engage in one another's lives. And with our children, we need to do that. And with the next generation, we need to communicate that. So at church here, I think sometimes we need to communicate to this group of people sitting on the front, those children that will be in the choir tonight, if you, you want to say, I love you guys. Well, how do you do that? Well, you show up tonight and watch them and support them. Yeah, that means you really maybe say, well, I, you know, I was thinking about doing something else. Well, don't. You show up and demonstrate love. With our youth, I love this church. You guys do a great job because a lot of times during the summer we will help families or help people out that don't have, perhaps can't go to, they just have a hard time getting the money together for camp. Y'all do that. We got way makers and other things we do. And, and you send kids to camp. I know uh, 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 over a year ago, the last camp we did, uh, uh, some people sent some kids to camp from the community and they got saved over the course of the next couple of months. And it was incredible. It's what we do. We invest in that generation. As a family, we invest in the future of our children and in the future of the children of our church. So that's why we give them roots. We, we give out a hug and a kiss and a pat on the back. The second thing is that constructive discipline builds respect and brings peace. There needs to be constructive discipline from the Lord and, and because it builds respect for themselves as they learn how to behave. Because they're not perfect, remember? They're not perfect. So they got to learn. And, and, uh, and they got to learn. And they got to have respect for themselves. That means if they have respect for themselves, they'll behave differently than if they don't. They need to know there's somebody in God, that, that God values them as a pearl of great price. They're the apple of his eye. 
they're not junk. Even with all their struggles and even some of their failures, they're not junk. Teach them to respect themselves. Teach them to respect you. Because it brings peace to their life when there's respect, mutual respect. You respect them for being individuals and uniquely made under God with a purpose that may not be like yours, with a passion that may be different from yours. You respect that. But then you also teach them to respect you as God's gift to them and also an influence in their lives. And sometimes that chain of command or chain of counsel, depending. But you give constructive discipline because correction changes direction. You need to know that. There's time for correction. you got to say, we got to change what you're doing. You're going the wrong way. We're going to sit down and talk. That correction is a way of changing direction. But instruction provides direction. And you need both. You need to sit down and give good instruction. Sometimes you need to give correction. And good wisdom helps you to know the difference. As you're given the disciplines of the Lord, I think there's four things I want to share just basically under this. A relationship with Christ is life's greatest experience. That's so true. Now, it's great to hit a home run. It's great to hit a golf ball 350 yards. It's great to, uh, to dance in a recital and leave the crowd breathless. It's great to play the piano that everybody goes, wow, or the keyboard. It's great to be a math whiz and be able to figure things out without cracking a book. That's great stuff. But the greatest experience is to know Christ. And in all our teaching our children, somewhere we have got to communicate that. Well, this is great. Awesome. Proud of you. But there's something really important in life. More important than this, and that's knowing Christ and knowing his forgiveness and his love. And you plant those seeds throughout their life. From the time they're in, uh, a toddler and they're a child and they're a teenager, you keep saying that it's important. Most of the greatest experience of life is knowing Christ. And hopefully you share your story with them. So I don't have a story, then before you leave here today, you can. But that's what you do. You tell them that. And the second thing, you, you teach them that worshiping together sharpens and strengthens our spiritual life. The Bible says we're to worship together. Now, that can take on different forms. And I know we got uh, a lot of things going on and travel and vacations and all stuff. That's fine. But I, I believe that there needs to be a point in time that somewhere you worship together. Maybe you're off somewhere and, and, and you need to just take a moment and say, we're going to get up at 7 o'clock and meet together. And, and you say, well, we don't sing. Well, then play a CD. And say, we're just going to worship for a minute. Think about God for a minute. I'm going to share a, a thought with you from Scripture. I'm going to read some Scripture. We're going to talk for just a minute. Because our worship together, the Bible says two or three are together together. I'll be in the middle. So don't take a crowd. But I do think we need to worship consistently, and I think it's important that we do that. In a, in a world that's got us so busy, so spread out, our, our children need to know that worship's important. If you can't do it here, do it somewhere else. I mean, really. I, I remember, you know, when, when my son played ball and um, when he did the World Series and did one other tournament and we'd take our vacations and go. And say, hey guys, we're going to meet at such so uh, a time in the room, and we're going to have just a time of, of just... Uh, Sunday morning worship. I promised I wouldn't sing, and they all came. It's pretty good. Because I think it's important. I think sometimes just to come together and say, hey, I know we're out camping. It's a weekend off, but let's take a moment and worship. So can you do that, Pastor? Oh, yeah. 
Because God's there. You can do that. Right? Uh, so, but you've got to teach them that's important. Because that's, that's what they, because worship sharpens us and strengthens us for our spiritual life. The second thing, teach them that witnessing for Christ is the greatest joy in our faith. If I can learn how to witness, if you guys can become witnesses now, you'll be incredible as adults. To learn how to share your story with your, with your friends and with those you come in contact with as we share with people in the workplace. We tell them the greatest thing we can do, the, one of the greatest joys in life of faith is to witness for Christ. To share our story of salvation. The fourth thing is to work for Christ in your spiritual gift. It's a journey of fulfillment. Every person has a spiritual gift. Discover it and use it. Help your children to discover it and help them to use it. They don't have to wait till they're adults to use it. They can use it now. They don't have to wait till they have a position in the church. They already have a position in Christ. Use it now. And so that's what we see. And then there's a third thing I want you to get on this. Be a model of grace and hope. Again, remember, we're not perfect. You are a trophy of God's kindness, a partaker of his mission, not perfect by any means, but closer to perfection than you've ever been. Steadily stronger, gradually better. This happens when grace happens. As I realize I'm a product of grace, I I present grace to others. Go, hey, man, I'm going to do something, you know, that you don't deserve today, but I want to do it because of grace. Isn't it great when that happens? You do something not because it's deserved, but because it's grace. We've become so performance-based in our society that if we do good things, if we hit the home run, if we win the ball game, hey, it's great. We're going we're gonna, to, you know, we're going to do something really fun. If you lose the ball game, nobody talks to you and nobody talks about it and you go home and it ain't fun. Why don't you do something fun? I, I'm telling you, because that's grace. Maybe it was the worst performance you've ever seen. You're going, man, what were they thinking about today? Do something that they, it doesn't, hey, grace says, let me do something you don't deserve. Man, let's go get a, something to Dairy Queen. Really, honestly, steak and shake. I mean, I don't know. Something that says, hey, hey, we're going to have fun because we got to do something today. Well, it didn't go out like we wanted to. It didn't finish like we planned, but let me tell you what. I'm not talking about rewarding laziness or complacency. I'm talking about extending grace when the performance isn't there. I think it's huge that we've become way too performance-minded. All right? Uh, let me give you this illustration. I, uh, Neil Lancaster, the father, uh, uh, he was a father attending the U.S. Open golf tournament. That is the f- one of four majors in the golf world. It's like huge. It's always a tough tournament. And, uh, and, and Neil was playing this, and his father, after the first nine holes, left this prestigious tournament because his son was not playing well. He shot a 39 on the front nine. Now, Parr's 36, and 39 ain't bad at the U.S. Open. But his father just said, I, he's just not playing well. I, I'm just going to leave. And in his leaving, he missed the second nine. Where Neil shot a 29 and set a course record. Guys, don't ever give up. I'm telling you, don't ever give up because there's a back nine coming. 
There's just a back nine coming. Don't give up. Hang in there. It is in the family and the church we preserve the best of the past and invest in the potential of the future. Our children are not going to be exactly like us. They're just not. Don't try to make them like you. Pass on your faith. Respect their individuality. They're going to like different music from you. They may like a different church from you. They may use a different translation of the Bible. They may like doing small groups in a home rather than on a campus. It's okay. Uh, we preserve the best of what we enjoy, but we, let, we also realize the potential of the future. The, the, the second thing I want to talk about, the second thought, give them wings for freedom to soar. Ephesians 6, 4 uh, says this. The first part of that verse, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Mm. You know what angers children when you don't give them wings? You know. You don't, because when you don't give them wings, you're saying, I don't really trust you. I, I, I don't, I, I don't, and we're trying to do things that perhaps fulfill us. We have to give them wings. God lets us have wings. And we got to do that. We can't, we can't hold them in and hold them back. We got to let them be who they are in Christ. We got to let them use their spiritual gift. It may be different from us. They may have a different passion from us. We may have loved ball. They may hate ball. We make them play an instrument. They can't begin to play an instrument. You may have been brilliant in school. They may be hands-on. They're going to do it differently. It's okay that they do it differently. The church has got to realize we've got to let the next generation begin to do their thing that they may impact that generation for the kingdom and the one to follow if we do a good job of turning them loose. Give space, number one, for mutual respect to unique personality because no two people are alike and individual passions. I have four children, not a one of them are alike. They don't even have nothing, you know. You figure out how to talk to one, it doesn't work for the other. I could say something to one of my girls and she'd laugh. I'd say the same thing to the other and she'd cry. I'm going, Pfft. It's tough. They're not the same. And we don't, treat, we don't compare them to other kids or our kids to each other. We just simply say, God, they're a unique gift. They're a treasure. They're a pearl of great price. And help me to get them where you use them to their maximum potential. We might not even understand what that is. We may never know. The toughest thing about raising kids is convincing them who has the seniority in the house. You got to be the senior. I mean, you got to be the one in charge, but be gracious. Be kind. Be firm at times. Sometimes be aggressive. They're in danger. You got to be aggressive. But let them have wings. And then sometimes there has to be correction, instruction. Teach them to respect authority. 
but also show respect for them by seeing through their eyes. That's very important. Very important. The second thing, give permission to go beyond tradition, but always follow truth. Now, this is more to the church. We saw all these people up here, these families. You saw this children's choir up here. You see the youth sitting down here. We have traditions because that's how we do life. They may not follow our traditions. And we get kind of uptight about that. We shouldn't. It's important they mean something to us, but it may not mean anything to them. Tradition says we're going to do Sunday school at the campus. They may say we're going to do Sunday school in our house. They like their music loud. Some of us don't. Not a right or wrong. Truth is what they need to follow. Not trends, but truth. And some traditions are not always the truth. They're just preference. But truth is always truth. And I need to teach them to follow the truth of God's word. Not what other people say. Not what their peers say, not the influence of the media, but what the truth says. And if I can teach them to find and follow truth, they're going to fly the right way. Eventually for some, immediately for others. If we do not raise our children to know and love truth, who will plant the seeds of truth and fight the battles against evil in the years to come. It's us. That's our job. And they fight a whole different battle from us. We're always changing. Need to know that. Let me close with this story. It was in the 70s. That was when youth were anti-establishment. They didn't like anything that was established. But they were there. And an organization named Campus Crusade came on the scene and began to do things with high school students and college students. It was phenomenal. A guy named Bill Bright had a vision to share the gospel with the world before Christ came back. And it was, he did a great job of, of doing many things. And he attracted these young people that seemed to uh, not plug in to the establishment. They had the audacity to show up for Tuesday night Bible study. Probably didn't go to church, some of them on Sunday. But they came to Tuesday night Bible study. And they had a, and a house would host it and they'd give out refreshments. And then they'd, have a, they'd listen to a guy play a guitar and sing songs they'd never heard before. And then have a guy stand up and speak, dress someone like me. Or even in jeans and tennis shoes. And he'd talk about Jesus and what it meant to trust Christ, what it meant to follow Christ. And literally the house will be packed with kids all in every room and they're listening in there. And then some were meeting in, the, in, in pizza parlors and some were meeting all across various ways. And they were just coming to find out about Jesus. And they were wearing t-shirts that said, one way Jesus. And it, had a, it looked like this. And, 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 and they were wearing Jesus shirts talking about the rapture and the crucifixion and all the things that connect with Christ. And they wore bell-bottom jeans and they had hair that was over their ears. They wore all kind of funky jewelry. Man, it was the 70s. And the church said, we don't want any part of that. 
If you're going to wear your hair long, if you show up at my church, I'm going to tell you to cut your hair. You ain't going to wear that Jesus shirt at our church because that's disrespectful. Oh, you're not going to, hey, we ain't going to have no guitar in our church. That's the devil's music. But one pastor said, you guys can come to my church. I want y'all to come to my church. Matter of fact, I'll let your band play at our church, man. We'll, we'll have the guitars and the drums, and, and you can wear your T-shirts. I don't care what length your hair is, because I believe you guys love Jesus. And you know, all of a sudden, kids begin to come to this church and fill the place up. And the adults didn't know quite what to do with them. And the pastor kind of paid the price for it. Because the other pastors didn't like him. They talked about him and criticized him. Complained about him. And even some of his own members said, I'll be glad when things get back to normal. I wish these kids would go somewhere else. But he kept doing what he was doing. In the course of time, the result of this pastor who took in these kids, and by then, man, about 150, 200 were coming to his church. Out of that group came uh, ministers to youth, worship leaders, musicians, songwriters, ministers of education, missionaries, pastors. He had pastors all over the South. Out of that group came a seminary president. Out of that group came a pastor who's had the privilege of being here for 22 years. Yeah, man. Brother David Jordan said, guys, come on. I know it's not tradition. I know it's odd. But let's do something for Christ. Let's make a difference. And he invested to the next generation. He's retired now. Really retired. I'm going to have him come preach one Sunday in the summer here. But his guys are still kicking. We're all still out there. And he had a chaplain in the uh, armed forces that baptized guys in Afghanistan that got saved about two years ago. You saw his picture. Paper. Man. We invest in the future. It may make us uncomfortable. It may be not traditional, but it is how God changes the world. 